Acts chapter 2 tonight. What does it look like to be a church in action? Well, that's what we're seeing. Acts is the transition to life under the new covenant as a New Testament church. Let's read verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. Last week we considered verse 42 and the need for us to continue steadfastly. There are things that as a church body we must earnestly agree in, about, to do. Uh, Namely, what we saw last week was the apostles' doctrine, continuing in fellowship, breaking of bread, And in prayers, those are the keys to have a strong church in action when we are actively doing these things. We need preaching and doctrine, but we need more than just preaching. We need fellowship of the saints. We're to be a family. And remember the example of the redwood trees. We will only go stronger and higher as we are connected at the roots and helping one another embrace one another. Also, we need to be hospitable. We need to break bread together. And that may be just having meals together. It may be referring to the Lord's Supper. Uh, Whatever the case, we need to be doing both anyway. Um, If it's referring to the Lord's Supper, our our commonality is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what that pictures, His blood and His body. And, And finally, we must pray for one another. You know, if you'll start praying for your church, you'll have a more, you'll have a better heart for your church. And that person that just rubs you the wrong way, you might actually uh, find yourself a little bit nicer. We need to pray for one another. Now that's as much of a recap as you're getting, and um, go back and listen if you want. Now, before we move on to verse 43, I do want to point out all these verses, with the exception of verse 47, they all begin with and. And verse, verse 47 is a continuation of the sentence in verse 46, so... What we're seeing here, all of this is showing us the result of what transpired on the day of Pentecost. You see, this is what happens when people continue in the Spirit. The day of Pentecost was an amazing event in church history, but its impact continued on just be more than just one service. We might have a great service from time to time, But is it continuing on in everyday life? Are we staying with the Spirit? Are we walking in the Spirit? And so when people are Spirit-filled, and they remain Spirit-filled, and they're continuing steadfastly, this is the kind of stuff you can expect to happen in a church. And I want you to notice that these things that we see here in these verses that are a result of, or maybe came out of the day of Pentecost, these things that we see every day... They're really just the, the new routine. You understand what I'm trying to say? This group of people 
now they, they've added all these thousands of people in, 3,000 souls on this day. And, and what they're seeing here after this amazing outpouring of the Holy Ghost, now they're just seeing the everyday manifestation of God. They're settling into their routine, if you will. This is, this is how life was going to be for them under this new covenant. And I'm saying this to tell you, we need to be sure that we're not missing the blessing of everyday Christian life. Everyday church, every week church. There, there is this, when we do this routine in our life, sometimes we can lose sight of God. We just get in the routine. And, and we lose sight of, of who, we, who we serve and what we're doing. God moved in a supernatural way on the day of Pentecost, but God was still at work within this church and within this community afterwards. Why? Because they continued steadfastly. They kept with it. They kept the same routine. They kept doing what they knew was right. Routine's okay as long as you're keeping your focus. And, and they were doing what was right. They were not losing sight of God. And so I want to encourage us, let's not miss the blessings of the fact that we're even here tonight. Yeah. i got to go to church. No, no, no. It is a great blessing of God that we can even be allowed to gather in freedom tonight. And we've already gathered once, and, and now we're here again. Listen, it is a great blessing to have this routine of meeting Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's a blessing. It's a blessing to be able to sing together. It's a blessing to hear our choir, to hear special music, to hear the orchestra, to hear preaching and teaching. It doesn't always have to be this wild day of Pentecost. The routine. Don't take for granted that our academy opens its doors every Monday through Thursday during the school year. That's a blessing. That's a great thing. Don't lose sight of the fact that Brother Hollinsworth goes and he preaches at the jail in the nursing home. That's a great thing. Don't lose sight of that. We, there's inmates to reach. There's shut-ins to reach. And, and we look at that and it, it, so many people don't even want to do those kind of things. And yet it is a great blessing of God that we're able to do so. It's a blessing from God that our press is rolling on Monday nights. It's a blessing that we get to go and collate and staple and trim and put together the Word of God. It's a blessing when the Petrakos get to go on the road and people entrust us with their money to be good stewards of that, to see the press ministry go forward and print the Word of God. It's a blessing every time we run the buses to pick up children, to bring them in and to have church. I think there was like 50 people in junior church tonight or something like that. Whoop! Listen, that's a blessing of God. You say, well, it's just routine. I don't really get to see it. They're the ones running the buses and they're in it. Listen, it's a blessing that we get, a, we get to be a part of this. It's a blessing to have Sunday school, junior church, Patch and Pee Wee clubs, or Wednesday night teens. Uh, it's a blessing that we have a missions program and that you give faithfully and we can support our missionaries. All of these are by the grace of God just as much as the mighty outpouring of God on the day of Pentecost. Don't lose sight of that. Don't miss the miracle in the routine. We need to be sure we are recognizing God just as much in the routine as we would during the great moves of God. And I don't think I would be out of line to suggest tonight that they wouldn't have saw the great move of God had they not been in the routine of God. Had they not been already doing what they knew to be right, I don't think they would have seen. Now, in this case, God had promised it. We understand that. But they were being faithful to gather. They were being faithful to pray. They were of one accord in one place. They were continuing steadfast in their routine. And then suddenly, 
God moves supernaturally. So don't lose sight of the glory of God working in the everyday routine. Well, I get up, I read my Bible, I pray. That's a blessing. God is in that just as much as He's in something else. And so don't forget that. Let's move on to verse 43 tonight. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. We see one thing that resulted on the day of Pentecost was this fear that came upon every soul. They're continuing steadfastly. They're doing what they know they're supposed to do. And there was fear upon every soul. As the apostles were enabled by God to perform many signs and wonders, it, it created a, a fear upon the community. Not just a, a fear of trembling, but also just a fear of awe that this was actually taking root after their leader had died. And here's this new Christianity, if you will, and it's blossoming. And it caused all the people to be in fear. They're in awe. They're, they're, like I said, it's both a, a frightening thing, but it's also a, a reverential thing. They're, they're watching this, and, and they're seeing what's happening. And I believe that this fear, when it says it came upon every soul, I think it means it came on not only the church, but the community. Everybody had a fear Something was taking place in Jerusalem. Something was going on. And and I mentioned previously, these signs and wonders, they were unique to the first century apostles. But we can still see this kind of effect as God moves upon us, as God moves on our behalf, as we continue steadfastly. It is right for God's children to have a healthy fear of their Heavenly Father. That's a good thing. We should stand in awe of God. We should... Reverence God. This will help you get victory over sin in your life. It's a healthy thing. We should fear God's mighty hand. We should tremble. And we should be fearful. And that should keep us in a right path with God, understanding that what His book says we're going to follow because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of a living God. And so this fear is good for the believers. Keeps us right with Him. Keeps us rightly following His Word. Psalm 89.7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. When Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage, Pharaoh and his army, remember they pursued after them to the Red Sea. They had them hemmed in. All hope looked lost uh, for Israel. But as you know, God parted the Red Sea. They went across on dry ground. The Egyptians couldn't help themselves. They went in after them. (laughs) Spoiler alert, amen, they drowned. And so they go in there. God drowned them. The Bible says they they saw them drowned in the sea. The children of Israel did. And they saw their dead bodies upon the seashore. This is what it says in Exodus 14.31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord God did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord. And believed the Lord. And His servant Moses. As we see God's great works, it should teach us to fear Him. And to trust Him more fully. And also from that, there should be a healthy fear within a church body for the man of God he has put in place. This isn't because a man is worthy to be feared. As if he's someone greater than you, but it is because he is God's anointed. And that office is to be reverenced. Joshua 4.14, on that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. If you hang around true churches long enough, if you observe people long enough, 
you'll learn that those who have spoken ill against God's anointed, it did not go well for them. Be careful what you say about the man of God trying to do right. Now, I don't mention this point very often because it does seem very self-serving, but I'm the one preaching. I've seen it here already a few times. I don't talk about these things. But I've had those bless me out. They ended up in jail. They did all kind of wickedness. They, they ruined their life. First Chronicles 16.22, also found in Psalm 105.15, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. So these are some ways in which we are to fear as, as children of God, as believers. Uh, but it's also great when unbelievers, they come to fear God and tremble before Him. It's a blessing when the enemies of God are so fearful that they're just dumbfounded, confounded at what's happening down there at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. What's going on down there? I don't understand this. They sing scripture songs. Fear came upon every soul because God was showing them favor. Glance down at verse 47 real quick. Praising God and having favor with all the people. What a blessing to have the favor of God upon our life, especially upon our church life. Persecution was going to increase in time because God was going to scatter this church throughout the world to preach the gospel elsewhere. But for now, it was God's will for this church to be firmly established in Jerusalem And He did so by showing them favor. Fear came upon every soul. And this kind of favor only happens when we are determined to continue steadfastly. It may be God's will for more intense persecution to come upon His church. There are places in the world that are experiencing that. By the grace of God, we're still here tonight in freedom but who knows what the future holds. It may be that God would intensify persecution one day, but I am assured that tribulation of some form will come to a church that decides they're going to backslide and drift away from the principle of God's Word. I don't know what that would look like for every church, but we've got to be careful to just continue steadfastly. And it's amazing to me how God can put His fear for His children, His church, into the hearts of non-believers. I don't know why. It just amazes me when you think about the adversaries who are sometimes very puffed up and try to act so tough. But there's a fear there for the church that they're, they're persecuting. That's why they're persecuting them. There are times when the people around us will be in fear because of God's favor upon us. Sometimes it is manifested, that fear is manifested outwardly. Sometimes it won't be manifested outwardly because... Um, it's really inside the heart, but they're too afraid to, to say that. They're, they're too prideful to admit that. When David was dying, Adonijah tried to take the kingdom, and David declared Solomon the next king. If you remember that account, and once God's favor was upon Solomon, the Bible says in 1 Kings 1.50, and Adonijah feared because of Solomon. He arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. That favor upon Solomon from God put 
the fear of God into the heart of Adonijah. Later on, we read of the account of, of the two women who claimed to be the mother of the same child. Solomon probably was just having one of those days in the office, and he's like, you know what? I don't have time for this. Cut the baby in half. You can have one piece, and you can have another half. And of course, that revealed the true mother. Amen. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm the only one that has those days in the office. You know what? I don't want to deal with it right now. Just cut yourself in half and whatever. All right, anyway. <laughs> 1 Kings 3.28, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king. For they saw the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Remember when Jonah was fleeing from God, he's on the ship, and a great storm arose that even caused the mariners to fear. Not the baseball team, but caused those who did this for a living to fear because of the storm which, which had uh, been stirred up by God, and they began to cry out to their false gods. But before it was over with, we read this in Jonah 1.16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Herod, he was one who wouldn't show his fear outwardly. He was too cool for that. He wouldn't show his fear of God and to God's people, but the Bible makes it clear that he feared John the Baptist, even though he beheaded him. Mark 6.20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and and holy, and observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things, and heard him gladly. Did you know the world's observing us? That's what it says about John the Baptist. Herod was observing him. He took note that he was a holy man. He took note of what was happening in John's life, and listen, we, we should be okay with the world watching us. We're not one of these religions that have got to you know, black out the windows and, and we've got some kind of special intersection of the, of the temple that only the elite can enter into. Listen, Jesus said, I did nothing in secret, but I did everything openly. And we've got nothing to hide. I don't care if people watch us. I don't care. Maybe they'll have the fear of God. Maybe they won't. But they are observing. Wicked nations and oppressive regimes may act like there's no fear of God, but deep down there is. And that's why they try to keep the true churches and the true believers silent. Mark eleven eighteen, And the scribes and the chief priests, that would have been the regime in Judea amongst the Jews. The scribes and the chief priests, they were part of the council. They heard it. And they sought how they might destroy Him, speaking of Jesus. For they feared Him, because all the people was astonished at His doctrine. Mark 12, 12. And they sought to lay hold on Him, speaking of Jesus, but feared the people. For they knew that He had spoken the parable against them, and they left Him and went their way. The ruling religious party in Israel... They wanted Jesus dead because they perceived He was a threat to their regime, their way of life. And it's no different today. It's no different today. Nations and wicked leaders, they're trying to silence believers out of fear. They are fearful of God's people rising up. Listen, we live in a day where the persecution is coming, amen? Our government does not want us to rise up in full strength. They don't want that to happen. And I know Satan, he, he knows that if a house is divided against itself, it can't stand. That's why there's all this denominational nonsense 
going on out there. I'll say more about that in just a minute. It's to keep us divided. And our nation, our government that is against freedom, against liberty, does not want us to rise up in unison because they are fearful. That's a fact. Just look at what's happening in Canada right now with the convoy. It's getting mighty insane. Anyway, I don't have time to get into that. Plus, it's Canadians. Amen. Um, But God bless them anyway. The council was in fear because this church was gaining momentum. The council was losing the next generation. You see, these people, they saw the miracle of tongues. They'd seen 3,000 turn to Christ after Peter preached. They saw the wonders and the signs. And they knew they had something on their hands greater than them. (laughs) And so we see in Jerusalem that even after the day of Pentecost, fear had come upon every soul. God gave them favor. A church in action generates fear. Fear for the believer and the unbeliever alike. It doesn't mean an absence of trouble. Herod feared John the Baptist, but he still cut his head off. It doesn't mean an absence of trouble, but it does mean God's favor. And I pray that God would bless us with that kind of favor in our community. People would wonder, what in the world is going on? Do I need to be concerned here? (laughs) Well, no, we just want to win you to Christ. Now, let's move on to verses 44 and 45, and i got to hurry already. Good night. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possession and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So we see again their unity in verse 44. All the believers were together. And I think this is almost hard for us to imagine in our our day of, of all the denominational stuff that's going on. They were all together. Out of 3,000 people, there wasn't all these different churches. There wasn't all these different beliefs yet. It It was Christianity. And could you imagine if all the churches in our area were continuing steadfastly in the same doctrine? I mean, imagine if there was the church of Rapid City. That's what happened in Jerusalem. It was the church in Jerusalem. You go to the the Revelation and there was seven letters to the seven churches of those cities. There wasn't a bunch of churches all over the place. There was a church for a city. And there's dozens of, of churches in our area. All kinds of flavors and choices of different doctrines. And it's crazy the amount of options that are out there. I tried to do a search just in Rapid City and it's, it's just overwhelming of what's available here in our area. But it wouldn't be long in the first century until different teachings surfaced for them too that they would have to deal with. We see that show up in the book of Acts before it's over with throughout the uh, epistles and they're dealing with Judaism being mixed with Christianity and things like that. And so they're going to have to deal with it too. But this brief period in early church history, can you imagine how awesome that would have been? 3,000 people say we're all in one accord. We don't know anything but to believe what we just saw and heard. And this is the only doctrine we know. Nobody's come along and said, well, you know what you really did when you spoke in tongues? You really just did some kind of a gibberish that nobody else could understand. No, no, they knew what they were doing. They were Galileans speaking another language of another country. There wasn't all this confusion. It's just amazing to me. And so, this short time, they were all believing together. And there's coming a day when all in Christ will be gathered together. And up there, we're all going to believe the same thing. What was the song? I I clap my hands and cry holy. Some of you will actually be excited in heaven. (laughs) 
It'll happen. You'll be like... Hey, we'll all be on the same page doctrinally up there. Today, if churches tried to, to get together, it would mean we'd have to compromise along the way. We're not going to go in that direction. There is an ecumenical, ecumenical movement out there. It's very strong. It's the idea that we all must come together under one banner. But it's impossible without compromise. You know, unfortunately, we can't even all get along as independent Baptists. Whether you realize it or not, there's varying doctrines on churches called independent Baptist churches. And I don't mean little things that we could just, all right, whatever, agree to disagree. I'm talking major doctrine. It's crazy what's going on. You can't even trust the name on the sign anymore. Well, this church in Jerusalem, initially they were all together. They all agreed together. And I hope we can say that at least here doctrinally. To my knowledge, we can, but I don't know. I guess I haven't really sat down and talked to everybody and gone through the statements of faith. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Of course, we ask you that when you join the church. But anyway, they, they were all together. They, they had the fundamentals. They all believed the same. And the thing about this statement, they were together, it goes beyond the spiritual, and it gets into the temporal. And we know that by what follows here. It says, They had all things common, sold their possession and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. No, this was not communism. No, this was not some hippie experiment, some compound. And so they had all things common. They sold everything. Don't jump ahead and think I'm about to challenge us to do the same. The day may come, but we're not there yet. What happened in this church in Jerusalem, it was only found in this church. It's nowhere else in in the New Testament. It's nowhere commanded by God, not even here. We'll see it again in chapter 4 and verse 32 where it says... And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And this evidently was due to very special circumstances which had developed in Jerusalem. And it did not survive permanently because in Romans 15.26, it mentions, Paul mentions how those of Macedonia and those of Achaia, they made a contribution for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so this only lasted for a short time. Also in Acts 11.29, it says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which is where Jerusalem is located. And so later on, as God began to use the persecution against the church to scatter them, there was a need which other believers were stepping up to fulfill and help them out. But we're not quite there yet in this chapter. That persecution hasn't come quite yet. They're not being scattered quite yet. And this is an amazing act of charity by this church. Now, why would they do this? Well, one obvious reason would be they loved each other and they cared for each other. When you love your family in Christ, you do what you can to make sure they're taken care of. This, this would be within reason, of course. We definitely need discernment because we don't want to be enablers to lazy people. In my opinion, we're a very giving church. But unfortunately, there have been situations where talking with the deacons, we've had to say, we can't do this anymore. You're not getting your act together. And you're 
starting to take advantage of our generosity, and you're more than capable. And so we need discernment. Another consideration for why they did this was because this was the first church. There's not another church. There's not a church up in Galilee. There's not a, this is it. And so there was no other churches to reach out to for help. They're standing alone in the midst of a city of Jerusalem steeped in Judaism. Listen, where they lived, they took their leader and they turned them over to the Romans to have them crucified. So do you think, do you think the religious Jews are going to offer them help? No. Not only are they in a city that uh, has all of this Judaism, but they're also under the control of a Roman government who crucified Jesus to make sure nobody else had any ideas of sedition. You think they're going to care if the Christians get help? No. They're standing alone. They've got nobody else but each other. And when a group finds themselves in the midst of a people who despise them or doesn't understand them, or cannot relate to them, that group becomes more close-knit. Because you're all you have. Are you with me? If you've been in the military overseas, I know you've experienced this to some extent. And all of a sudden, you're in the midst of a people you don't know, you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, and that commonality you have as Americans has bonded you together. And that's how it should be for the church. Listen, we're not to be... We're not to be out there with the world in the sense of we look like them, we act like them, we're we're doing what they do. We're to come out from among them. We're not to understand that culture, if you will. We're not to speak that language. We're just not to understand it. So where are we to find our close-knit? It's it's here. It's the church. It's Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. It it is us coming together. And so um, remember that these were devout Jews devout proselytes who were being converted to Christ while dwelling in Jerusalem for the sake of becoming more adherent followers of Judaism. That's why they're there. Remember it says they were out of every nation under heaven. And they're there because they want to learn more about Judaism. They want to follow it more closely. And those are the ones that are getting saved. Now they're disciples of Christ. You know what was going to happen to them? They were going to be shunned by the religious Jews. They were going to turn their back to them. They were going to cut them off. You would think that in a situation like that, where they were living, those that they had been interacting with, they're not going to be as helpful to you now because you're now a follower of Christ. And guess what? They're fearful of the council. That's what the Bible says in John 9.22. Remember the, the man that was born blind and Jesus healed and they brought him... Uh, back to Jesus, and they brought the parents in. The council did, I mean. They, they brought this guy in. They brought their parents, his parents in, and they said, is this, you know, what happened? <laughs> and they said, well, don't ask us. He's of age. Ask him. But it says this in John 9, 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. The, the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So anyone who, who claimed to be a Christian, to be associated with Christ, that was it, man. And they had everybody scared to help these Christians. And I believe that's why they're, they're doing this. Remember from verse 5, um, the converts here, they're, they're out of everywhere. And since they're not from Jerusalem to begin with, and now that they've cut their ties to Jerusalem, 
to their Judaism, it's very likely the only place they could turn was to the church. Now what's great about this is they no longer had a reason to be anchored to Jerusalem. They sold everything. And it would be a good time right here to make the application to remind us we have here no continuing city. We're not to be tethered to this world. We're just pilgrims and strangers. We're sojourning in a foreign land. Now, I'm not suggesting you sell off everything. Amen? We're not going to do that unless the time comes. But I am saying set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. And if it costs you material possessions, then so be it by following Christ. So be it. Don't allow the things of this world to dictate your service to God. But I've seen it. I've seen it, and you probably have too. I've seen people who place geography over God. I knew a guy, he was just itching to be a pastor. I said, why don't you go to Wyoming? I know churches that need pastors right now. Well, no, I can't leave this area of Georgia. Listen, don't do that. What are we hanging on to here? This world's lost its mind. What is it that was attracting us to it? Don't put your possessions over God. There's a preacher came through once, and, and um, I, I know he said it in jest, but I'm just going to use it as illustration. He said, if it ain't Dixie, it won't do. Is that how you're going to base your pastoring? If it's not in the South, then bless God, I'm just not going to do it. Listen, be careful about those things. And listen, our, our possessions, our lands, our houses, Jesus made it clear, you forsake those things if you want to be my follower. And so back to our text here, not only were they doing this to take care of one another in an unusual circumstance, but this is my personal opinion on why this was taking place a little bit deeper here. I believe God may have placed this into their heart because Jesus had foretold of the destruction of Jerusalem to come. We don't see this anywhere else in in any other church but this one. Jesus told them that Jerusalem was going to be surrounded by armies, that they would lay Jerusalem even with the ground. Not one stone would be left upon another. And He said concerning the destruction of Jerusalem that this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That generation knew it was coming. They knew destruction was on the way. They didn't know the exact timing, but they knew what Jesus had said. And I believe it could be, therefore, that God prompted them to sell everything they had to be far easier to flee when the armies began to surround the city, as Jesus warned, without possessions. Mark 13, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein, to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. And I personally think that's part of what's happening here. And so while this was a very charitable thing to do, this also was a very unique situation for these believers in Jerusalem. And we have not been commanded to do likewise. Man, I, I got to stop. I wanted to finish this chapter. Can you all hang out for just another couple minutes? I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm ready to get home too. Real quick, verses 46 and 47. That wasn't a whole lot of amens there, by the way. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In closing here, listen, we can't overemphasize their unity. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. They enjoyed singleness of heart. Some of you, some of you have got to stop hanging on to your past hurts. You're letting it affect your service. You've got to let it go. Stop being bitter. Lay it down. Get into the same mind in the Lord with them. Get it right. Do you really want to be the cause of disunity 
within the family of God. And I don't care if they're a part of this church or not. Stop allowing others to drive your actions. Well, they were daily in the temple. Isn't that interesting? Many Christians today think it's too much to come to church more than just on Sunday mornings. And for some, that's a major feat. It's almost humorous because some of them talk about, I wish we could go back to the early church where they went from house to house. Did you read what it said before that? They continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Yeah, they may have went house to house, but listen, they were gathering all together. And get this, they were gathering every day. Do you really want to go back to the first century church? I didn't think so. They met every day. How sad today that if you attend three services a week, you're considered a fanatic. No wonder we don't see revival. We see that they not only met at the temple daily, but they also went from house to house, breaking bread. I think this probably better fits having a meal together, but whatever is the case, they did so with gladness. You know what this church did? They actually liked each other. They enjoyed spending time together. But oftentimes we're just too selfish to share our time with others. Well, I'm not going to go to men's prayer. I'm not going to go to ladies' meeting. I'm not going to sign up for supper for six. I just want to encourage you It'd be a great benefit to me if you would take it upon yourselves to start fellowshipping with the folks. You see somebody new come in, invite them over. There's only so much of me to go around. And and they need to get that, that connection point. They need to get plugged in. And if you would help break bread with other people, make them feel welcomed, it sure would be a blessing. Go to our new folks, invite them. Make them feel welcomed. It's hard leaving your home sometimes, amen? And our military people are, are shifting around, and, and you military folks know the difficulties that come with that. We see that they praise God together. We should offer to God the sacrifice of praise. This binds our church together when God is the object of our affection. It gets our attention where it needs to be. And I know I'm rushing through, but finally we see when a church is in action that's continuing steadfastly, like we see here, the Lord will add to the church such as should be saved. And in this case, the Lord was doing so daily. What a blessing. They were faithful to give the word and God took care of the harvest. So what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do you want to be tonight, folks? This church was unified. They held pure doctrine. They fellowshiped. They held communion. They prayed. They feared God. They were charitable. They faithfully gathered together. They ate together. And they praised God together. And as a result, they had favor with the people. The Lord gave them favor. The Lord added to their church daily, such as should be saved. And I hope it's your desire that we could be that kind of church. We need to be a church in action that's continuing steadfastly. And we'll let God take care of the rest. Let's pray.